Well, good morning. I'm really glad to be here with you today. I want to continue on the subject of revival, and my sermon today is framed in the form of a question. And I want, I want to ask you this question. Are you a well? Are you a spring? Are you a cistern? Or are you a river? This, of course, question, this question is, of course, a, um, not a not rhetorical question, so I want you to put it in your think box because we're going to come back and circle around it and come back and answer the question at the end of the service. The main consideration for any location of any town, city, or village in antiquity is the proximity to a water source because without water, a town, a city could not survive. So ancient cities were built around uh, these water sources. In the Old Testament, we find great cities uh, built around great rivers like the Nile and the Euphrates. And other cities were built around shores of the freshwater lakes. Of course, we know that there was a thriving community of over 250,000 people that lived along the Sea of Galilee or what we call the Lake of Gennesaret in Jesus' day. You know, we've got cities like Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Tiberias. And all these cities drew their sustenance from this lake. And obviously, the larger the water source, the larger the community it's able to sustain. But what if there is no river nearby? What if there is no freshwater lake nearby? Well, the cities in Israel drew their supplies from underground springs, many, many underground springs. If you've ever been to Israel, it's a land of springs, man. The city of David or Zion, for instance, uh, drew its supply from a freshwater spring, a Katsyon spring, that, that is situated directly under the city. It's a beautiful spring that gushes forth clear, pristine, cold, cold water, even up till today, thousands of years later. And I've been to that spring on many occasions. It's a beautiful picture of the heavenly Zion, because if you read the story, if you read the account of heavenly Zion in, in, in Revelation 21, you'll find the throne of God, and beneath the throne of God, there is a beautiful spring that out of it gushes forth water to supply the needs of all of the inhabitants of heaven. Amen. Another example, of course, is the city of Jericho, and Jericho is located in a very dry, rugged terrain in the Judean wilderness, very close to the Dead Sea, and I've been to Jericho on several occasions, stayed there as well, and if you ever go to Jericho, you will discover that there are bubbling springs everywhere. I mean, you walk along the, the roads, and you find springs of water coming up, and it's all coming from an underground spring that's called the Spring of Elisha. And if you recall, in the days of Elisha, this, the waters were, in the city were bitter, and they came to the prophet, and the prophet uh, spoke and asked for um, a bowl of salt, and he cast the salt into the waters, and the waters were healed, and even up to today, thousands of years later, man, it remains healed, and it's good, clean drinking water, amen. But what if there's no river? What if there's no freshwater lake or a natural spring in close proximity? Well, the inhabitants of the land could do one or two things. Number one, they could dig a well. There are many wells in the Old Testament that were dug by the Old Testament patriarchs. Abraham, of God, dug many wells, and several of these wells later became cities that grew, actually grew around those wells. Uh, people instinctively gather around water sources, right? So did Isaac and Jacob. And many of these wells mentioned in the Old Testament were very deep wells. They went down hundreds of feet into the ground, and they could last for a long time. In John chapter 4, Jesus visited a well in Sychar, and it was a well that Jacob had dug. And centuries later, man, that well was still producing good, clean drinking water. And the town of Sychar, of course, drew their sustenance from that well. The town of Nazareth, of course, also had as its supply one main source uh, that was uh, located in the northwest extremity of the city. And no doubt Mary would have gone there on many occasions to draw water for her family. Now, how do you dig a well? 
How do you dig a well? The old-fashioned way, through sheer hard work. In Hebrew, the word for well is the word beer, B-E-R, which is not just an alcoholic beverage, <laughs> which mean, it means to bore. And literally, they had to find their way down, dig very deep till they reached the water table. So here's a piece of advice. If you want to grow a church, if you're a pastor, if you're a zone lead, if you're a, a cell lead, if you want to grow yourself, this, my friends, I'm telling you this, go deep, man. Go deeper, hallelujah, because the deeper you go, the larger the well you're going to be and the more people you're going to sustain. If, uh, if the well becomes a spring and it starts, living water starts flowing out from you, my goodness, you're going to sustain a large number of people. A good spring, in fact, can sustain a whole city, hallelujah. Now, the second thing that they could do in the Old Testament was to dig a cistern, and a cistern was a... Uh, underground storage tank that was dug up from the earth and it would was be connected with an elaborate system of water channels and surface drains to direct the flow of rainwater into the system. Now you can just imagine the debris and the dirt that would be channeled into a system after months there would be sediment settling at the bottom of the system it makes the water very murky and uh, cisterns you know are a very common source of uh, water in Israel to drink out of a family system was considered what the wish of many of a Jew, all right? And these systems were often dug in the open courtyards of homes, and during the summer months, they would often uh, be empty. And then they would, of course, be filled up during the rainy season. But a system, by its very nature, cannot supply fresh flowing water. And how often have we sought to hollow up a little tank outside waiting to store up every drop of rain that might fall along the way? Now, the question I want to ask is, if you're a believer... If you've been born again, you're one of four things. You're either well or a spring or a river or you're a cistern. When you meet another believer, ask yourself the question, is he or she a, a well, a spring, a river, or a cistern? Because you are one of four. And I want to ask you that question today. Cornerstone, I want to ask you a question individually as well. Are you a swell? Are you a spring? Are you a cistern? Or are you a river that's overflowing? Hallelujah. Now, let me just talk for a few moments about a well. When a person receives salvation, the first thing that the Lord does is He puts a well in that person. This is consistent, right, in the Old Testament as well as in, in the New Testament. It's called the wells of salvation. The book of Isaiah, the prophet talks about this, drinking daily from the waters of the wells of salvation, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. Jesus talked about this as well when he talked about the woman at the well. He said, if you drink from this well, you will never thirst again. That's John chapter 4. If you're truly born again, my friends, you have a well in you, but you've got to learn how to drink from it. And I've met Christians who've been Christians for 20 over years and don't know how to drink from the wells. And they don't know that they're dying of thirst, but they don't know that there is a well on the inside of them from which they can draw the waters of salvation. The second thing is a spring. You know a well can become a spring, and that only happens when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I tell you this, my friends, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, ask Him for it. It might take days, it might take weeks, it might take months, it might take years, and I don't care how long it takes, but I'm telling you, my friends, if you will ask and keep on asking, you will receive. If you seek and keep on seeking, you will find. If you knock and keep on knocking, it shall be open unto you. You don't stop until you receive the power from on high. 
high. Hallelujah. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you those waters of salvation starts bubbling up and you feel this wonderful effervescence of the Holy Ghost. And there is this new, listen, my friends, this is where the new language comes from. It's not here. It's not here. It's here in the, the, the belly. Hallelujah. Jesus said, out of your innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Those living waters begin to bubble up, especially when you start singing to it, especially when you start speaking in tongues. My friends, if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to press in. Hallelujah for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest revivalists who ever lived, spent uh, something like nine months day and night crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we, when he finally was baptized in the Holy Spirit, whoo, what a mighty river he became. Come on. Uh, William Seymour, the leader that led the great uh, Azusa Street Revival, prayed for four years, my friends, before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when he was finally baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was like a dam that was ready to explode. Whoa, hallelujah. And Charles Finney waited for a long time before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so was John Gillick. I tell you this, my friends, some things you got to press in for, amen. The violent take it by force. Come on. There's some things in life you just got to lay a hold like a bulldog and say, God, I'm not going to let you go until you fill me with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because when you're a spring, people come and start drinking from your, from your wells. Amen. The third thing that you can become is a river. That spring in you can gush forth, can overflow and become a river. And when it does, it blesses a whole lot of people. You know, many people will start drinking from the overflow of your life. We've all seen rivers. There's some rivers that are very gentle flowing rivers like streams, but there are some rivers that are like mighty torrents and those rivers bless entire communities and cities. And Jesus said, out of your innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. A torrent of life-flowing water from a well that became a spring and is now a raging river. Hallelujah. Come on. The source of many of the great rivers in the world today came from very insignificant spring. For instance, the Danube River that cuts right across Europe starts from a little spring in a little town in the Black Forest in Germany. Or the headwaters of the Jordan comes from an underground spring in Banias, and many of you have been there as well. And so we understand that a well can become a spring that can become a river. Or you can become a cistern. Now, I'll circle back to this in a few moments because I want to focus on uh, the cistern because many Christians have dried up and, bew and hewed for themselves cisterns that can produce no water. Now, what is true for an individual is also true for a church. What kind of church are we? Come on, let's be honest. What kind of church is Cornerstone? Is Cornerstone a well or is Cornerstone a spring? Are we a cistern or are we a, a raging river? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, the sad thing is that I think many churches start off as wells. They become springs and that's how they got a crowd in the first place, right? Because again, I say people instinctively gather around these wells or springs. But you know, those wells can be clogged up, and that's unfortunate. Envy, competition, strife, bitterness, hatred, religious spirit, whatever. All these things can come in, and they can start to clog a, a well. And the result was the well no longer produces living water. And once that happens, the church loses its ability to impact its constituency and its community. And when that happens, oftentimes in that desperation to meet the thirst of the people, we start digging cisterns. We start organizing man-made programs. We start trying to entertain the people and trying to please the people. And the moment you do that, you lose your spiritual power. And this was exactly God's controversy with Israel in the Old Testament. That is, people would exchange the fountain of living water for dry cisterns that cannot produce any water. 
Here's a scripture that I want you to listen to because it will, it will cause you to shudder. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 11 to verses 13, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now this scene takes place in a courtroom. God is bringing charges against Israel. All of heaven is the jury. And all these charges are intergenerational. They span three generations. Verse 11, has a nation ever changed its gods which are not gods? The Lord is speaking about pagan gods, idols. And uh, when you study these pagan nations, do you know what you will discover? They keep the same gods from the very beginning. As long as you can remember, those nations would continue to worship the same God. It didn't matter what God they serve, but whatever God they serve, they serve for centuries. There was a loyalty even among the pagans. But God's people, what did they do? Well, we've exchanged our glory for what does not profit. So how is it that we as God's people who serve the true and living God can choose to forsake the God we serve to serve dead and lifeless idols that cannot speak or cannot hear. We accept Jesus as our Savior. We pledge our allegiance to Him, but somehow, somewhere down the road, we forget our vows and we go back to serving our gods and our little idols. We go back to serving mammon. We go back to serving ourselves. We go back to serving sin and we go back to serving the devil. And what God is saying is even the pagans don't do that. Even pagans are faithful to their idols. In fact, they're often more faithful to their and committed to their idols than we as Christians are to the one true living God. What is God's opinion of this? Well, in verse 12, he says, you be astonished. You be horribly afraid. Man, you should be shuddering with great horror. God doesn't say, it's okay. You know, everybody's doing it. God loves you anyway. I know you had a bad day. And uh, we say it because we're so lukewarm and we think nothing about it. But all of heaven shakes, man. All of heaven shudders. And the Lord goes on to say there are two sins that my people have committed. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain, the wellspring whoo, of living waters. You know, this is the first great sin. We've forsaken our source. I haven't heard a pre message being preached lately that forsaking God is a sin. We call, God calls it a sin. We don't. We call it I'm just having a bad day. I'm just having an emotional problem. I'm having a bad week. I ran out of money. I grew up as a terrible abused child. And we have a list of things why it's okay to forsake our source. Let me ask you, who is your source? What is your source? Where do you draw your daily sustenance from? Are you drinking daily from the well that God put within you? My friends, I'm telling you this message. God is speaking to some people watching right now in this, in this service. The second thing that they did was they hewn themselves cisterns that cannot hold any water. When we forsake the source of living waters, we end up digging our own cisterns. We end up doing our own thing with our own strength and our own ability. And when that happens, we start to see a gradual decline of spiritual power in our lives. Why? Because cisterns are incapable of holding living waters, my friends. If you can understand this, you will understand the book of Jeremiah because it was to these people that he was sent to. Our churches are full of people who have forsaken the true and living God and have broken down systems for themselves. I tell you this in the church today, there's a lot of idolatry that's going on. 
There's a lot of idolatry. And an idol is anything that God says, I want you to give up. And you say, I cannot give up. That becomes an idol in your life. And you don't know how much idolatry there is in the church. And I tell you, over the next few weeks, I'm going to call out some of these things by name. And we're going to deal with some of these things because there is a besetting sin in the church. And it's the sin of idolatry. I was just with some Christians a few days ago from another church. They were telling me the problems that they were having and going through. And I was horrified. I was horrified. The bickering, the fighting, the, in, in the, 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 the strive, the anger, division in the church. And the church that was once a strong church has now become a phantom. And they were sharing me all the pain that they were going through. And I'm saying to myself, man, you, that church has stopped producing water, stopped producing living water for so long. Why do you stay in a place like this? Why do you want to stay in a place that doesn't produce living water? The people are starving to death and are dying of thirst. And we still say, well, you know, because my grandfather stayed, was in this church and because my father is in this church. So, you know, I stay in this church. And I'm telling you this, my friends, God is doing something. You got to move where the cloud is moving. You got to move when the cloud moves. Come on, hallelujah. And you know, I think that that's the great temptation of every revival. After a while, we stop depending on the Lord we we'll start depending on our own strength. And when we do that, we forsake the springs of living water to take our own sustenance. Shababa, Shanda. Come on, my friends. I have a burden this morning. I'm speaking out of a deep burden today. And I know that there are people in this room watching right now. Your hearts are filled with idols. And God is calling you to repentance. God is calling you to repentance. There's many idols in the church today. And we need to put them at the altar and ask God to destroy them and remove them from our hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and verses 13 to 14, let's read this. Thus therefore, thus saith the Lord, ask among the Gentiles who has heard of such things. The virgin of Israel has done a horrible, very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow waters of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters. Now, what is the horrible thing Israel had done? They have left the snow waters of Lebanon <clears throat> that comes from Mount Hamon for the strange, brackish, stagnated, smelly water that doesn't produce life. And these snow waters come from the melted snow from the mountain ridges of Hamon and they seep right into those limestone rocks and uh, channel into, more, into beautiful streams. Can, can anything be more refreshing and pristine than that? Wow. And we forsake that for brackish waters in our cisterns. Do you know in biblical times, those dried out cisterns were often used as prisons. I can name at least two, Joseph and Jeremiah were in prison in those cisterns. Dead bodies were often thrown into those unused pits. And there are some churches that start off as wells, and they end up becoming cisterns, and they're now prisons, and their members are locked in without any water. And boy, we ever go back to those old cisterns, then woe unto us. I'm telling you, these religious cisterns cannot provide living water. So what are we, Cornerstone? Are we a well? Are we a spring? Are we a river? Or are we a dead cistern? A man-made system. Whatever we are, let's not allow strife. Let's not allow division to hinder the work of God. Let's not allow murmuring or complaining to clog up the work of God as it was in the days of uh, Isaac. You know, the murmuring and the bickering clogged up the wells that Abraham had dug. Let's allow God to do what He wants to do because it is a serious thing when God gives 
the church a responsibility to steward a spring. Come on, hallelujah, shuck up. There was an article in the Los Angeles Times some time ago that illustrates this principle, a story of a five-year-old boy walking in a field with his mother in Bonio's Aires. And what, he, what they did not know was in that field was a, a well that had been covered by debris and, and, and shrubbery, and so it was concealed. And the well fell into the, the ground 59 feet. The boy did not see the, the well, and he fell right into it uh, 59 feet deep till he reached the bottom. He started crying out to the mom. The mom heard the cry, called the rescuers. They came. They could not pull the boy out, so they had to dig another well parallel to, the, um, to this well so that they could pull the boy up. And finally, when they pulled the boy up, 33 hours later, the boy was dead. They could not revive the boy. And you know what the tragic thing of the story was? His name was Christian. His name was Christian. And, and, and that well, which had been dug to be a source of blessing, has now become a death threat. And many spiritual wells have suffered the same fate. My friends, I tell you this. They were once a source of life-giving water. They were once a place where people came and drank from those wells. And we, we know many of these places. But now they become death traps. Now they become places of deadness and dryness. And instead of living waters, they have cisterns that can produce no water. Numbers 21 gives us the key of digging a well in the church. When the children of Israel came to a place called Beer, a well that Abraham had dug, they were commanded to sing to the well. And as they sang to it, the waters came gushing out. There are two principles that I want to draw from this story. Number one, who, who dug the wells? Well, it was the elders of the, the church of, of Israel. The elders, the leaders of the church have to dig the well. And if the leaders of the church are not convinced of revival, it will not work in any place. It's the pastor, it's the leaders of the church that must be convinced that the revival of God is the will of God for this church. And we are in Cornerstone. You are my, one of my pastors. You're one of my leaders and you don't believe in revival. You should not be in this church. You should not be in this church. If you're not convinced that revival is the will of God for us, that's the key in having a revival. The leaders must be 100% in. You know, a pastor must first become a house of prayer himself. He must become a torrent of life-giving water. Now, many of the ancient wells descended to great depths in the Old Testament, and that's necessary because shallow wells would dry up in the heat of summer. And the same is true for a well of revival. You have a shallow well, guess what? After a while, a while uh, the, the well, the whole move of God fizzles out and we're back to the same old, same old. And the enemy knows this, so he's going to try and prevent leaders from digging deep. And uh, we've got to keep on going deeper and deeper, man, until we touch the ancient torrents. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know, I think churches often miss the full blessings of God. They have the glory for a few weeks. They have this presence and they have, they, they're just enjoying, but they, they don't want to pay the price because there's always a price to pay for the glory and for the revival of God. And they go back to the church the way it was. And I tell you this, God doesn't want us to be a gentle flowing stream. He wants us to be a raging water, a river of living water. Amen. It's like Ezekiel's uh, uh, water, the river in Ezekiel's uh, vision. That water went, as the water went further, it went deeper into ankle deep, waist deep. Hallelujah. Knee deep, waist deep. And then it went overflowing. I'll tell you this, my friends. There is always more in God. Come on. There is always a greater intensity to revival. Whatever we are experiencing, God can give us more. Amen. The second thing that they did was they sang to it. 
This, voice, this well is voice activated. We've got to sing to it. They sang, spring up, O wells, hallelujah. I remember the first time you got saved, you felt such joy unspeakable, right? There was this well within you that was springing forth. Don't lose that joy, my friends. Don't lose that joy. Don't allow sin or the enemy to come and plug that and cover up that well within you. Some of you have lost the joy of serving Jesus. My friends, don't lose the joy. This is my 31st year in full-time ministry. I'm as passionate as I was when I first started. Don't lose the joy of serving Jesus. Come on. Now, how do you get the wells to spring forth? The answer is you've got to sing to it. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul exhorts us not to be filled with wine, which is dissipation, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said that we're to sing to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our hearts to the Lord and giving thanks. Sometimes we've got to talk to ourselves. But pastor, isn't that what people in, the WAC, in, the, in some of these not, uh, places they do, these nut houses? Well, I know that some of you are pretty wacky at times, but come on, my friends, Hallelujah. Got to learn how to sing to yourself. Learn to sing to that well. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is an important part of our Christian experience because singing connects us to your well. Singing connects you to the well that God has placed within you and you. We are constantly exhorted to the Lord to sing to Him. Hallelujah. A new song. Sing to Him psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was listening to a BBC report some time ago about the Methodist Church in the United Kingdom. And they, they discovered that the average age of a Methodist member was nine years above the national average. And they tried to study with reason. They found out two main factors. Number one, abstinence from alcohol. Number two, the fact that the Methodists love to sing hymns. Come on. Whoa, hallelujah. Amen. And then in verse 20, it says, giving thanks for all things to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks is an important part of our journey because it causes us to have a rejoicing spirit, which is really the key to the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is a fruit of the Spirit, but how do we get the fruit of the Spirit? It's by learning how to rejoice. It's like faith. You can never manufacture faith, but we can believe. I think a lot of the new songs we sing in church... Uh, very nice and they sound great and they're very trendy, but I tell you, there's very little life in them. We should sing more hymns, amen. We should sing more hymns in the church, all these little simple charismatic cho uh, choruses, because I tell you, there's something about these older hymns, because many of these songs were birthed out of revival and many of these songs teach us our theology. The journey of Israel was an interesting journey as well. If, they, if you recall, they stopped 40 times in the 40 years of their journey. And every time they stopped, it was in a watering hole. It was an oasis. And it's the same with us. If you look at the trajectory of your life and the places that God has led you, every place that He has led you was a watering hole. Was a place that refreshed you. There was a place that encouraged you. Amen. And I just want to take this to a landing. I want to just say a few things. Number one, every well must be protected because they will be attacked. This is what the devil does. He seeks to shut down the wells of God. It's what the Philistines tried to do in Genesis chapter 27. In our assignment from the Holy Spirit, protect the wells, protect the springs. Number two, the greater the well, the greater the attack. This is not rocket science, folks. Satan knows that this far better than us, that the greater the well is, the more people can come and drink from it and the more people we can influence. 
You know, preachers will tell you all kinds of things. You need to grow a church. And the truth is you can actually grow a church with a dazzling personality, with hype, with Hollywood-type performance, with all these dog and pony shows. But in the long run, it is unsustainable. People can be attracted to the hype and the hoopla. Uh, but the razzmatazz, when it's over, they're going to realize that all of it isn't just flighty and fluffy and, 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 and fuzzy and frivolous. <laughs> Listen, you can grow a church with programs, but you cannot sustain a church through programs. And you can fool some of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all the people all of the time. Because eventually people will say, there ain't no water in this place. It's a dried up old well, man. There's no bread, there's no hot bread. They don't serve bread in the, in the services. There's no more living waters that are flowing. People will know. People will know. Roy Godwin, a dear friend of mine, told an amazing story, and I want to just uh, take this uh, plane to the landing with, with, with the story. It was a sort of a Protestant monastery in Felderbrennan. The first months that he was there, nothing was happening. It was dead as dead can be. Finally, he summoned his staff, small staff, and he humbled himself, and he said, I really don't know what to do. He said, I've come to the end of myself. He said, I don't know what else to do, and I don't even know how to pray. And he knelt down before the staff and confessed that his, he was weak. And the Lord spoke to Roy and his, the Lord said, Roy, you don't know how long I've been waiting for you to say that to me. And then the Lord told Roy to do three things. Number one, he said, pray the name of Jesus over every room, every wall, every fabric, every furniture and call on the blood of Jesus. They literally laid hands on every part of the house, every wall, every door, every window. They prayed the blood of Jesus. Then the Lord said, I want you to walk the, the perimeter of the, wall, the, the, the land, 30 acres of land. He said, I want you to walk up and down the land and plead the blood over the entire place and break every curse and every wounding that has happened in the land. And he did that. And the third thing the Lord says is, I want you to straighten on every crooked thing in the ministry. And the moment they did that, a well that was dead. Roy said this to me and told me the story. He said, Pastor Young, a well that was dead for decades came back to life. The moment they got right with God. Hallelujah. Shoo. Hallelujah. And these torrents started flowing from this well and became a spring. And the local papers reported an inexplicable, inexplicable rise in the groundwater table in the county. And flooding started happening everywhere. You know, when the groundwater table is high, it's very easy to start, uh, to, 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 uh, to start a well. Hallelujah. It's very easy to bore a well. And you know, every time a revival happens, this is what it happens. The groundwater table rises and all of a sudden churches spring up everywhere. New ministry starts everywhere. Why? Because it's easy. Hallelujah. It's easy. In 1930, there was a prophetic word that was given to a man called Arthur Bird. He was a Welsh leader. It was given by the great evangelist Smith Wigglesworth. And I want to read this because God has been speaking to me out of this prophetic word. And this is the prophetic word. There shall come a breath and the breath shall bring the wind and the wind will bring the rain and the rain shall bring the floods, the floods, the floods and the floods shall bring the torrents and torrents and torrents. So shall they be saved like the falling leaves of a mighty oak swept by the hurricane in the great forest. Arms and lakes shall come down from heaven and there shall be no ebbing. Over the past week, several church members have been having dreams and God has been saying to them in the dreams, torrents are coming, torrents are coming. And I want to stand here today and I ask you today, if there are things in your life that have clogged up the well in you, if you've not been drinking from the wells of salvation on a daily basis, 
I want you to learn how to drink from those wells. And I want you to say, God, I want more of you. Because Christianity has got nothing to say to people that are contented. People that are happy with the world. People that are in, infatuated with the things of the world. Christianity has got nothing to say to you. But it's got everything to say to the people that are thirsty and are hungry. That are broken and are contrite. And they say, God, I'm desperate for you. I want more of you. If you're going through a hard time, here are three things that you can remember. Number one, nothing catches God by surprise. He knew you were going to go through that hard time and He's got your back. Number two, He's got an answer to every human dilemma. If you have a problem, I'll tell you God has that answer. Many years ago, we used to sing a song by Andre Crouch. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above Him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. If Jesus is not the answer, there ain't no answer. If He is not the answer, we don't have an answer to this world. And finally, I want to say to you, He is for you. He's not against you. He's got your back. I want to pray for you right now. There are people watching in this audience right now. Your wells are so clogged up. There's no more living waters that are flowing. Shut up, Abba. Some, come on, pray. My friends, stand up on your feet. Start praying in the Holy Ghost. But I tell you, don't sell yourself short. You know, some of you think that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, some syllables came out of your mouth and, uh, oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I tell you this, if there's no life change, if there's no sense of this explosion of the fire of God in your life, maybe you're selling yourself short. I'm telling you, wait until you receive the power from on high. Hallelujah. I want to be I want to be honest with God my friends I, I don't want to say I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit when I am not I want you to be baptized to be filled with the Holy Ghost if you have not been filled with the Holy Ghost ask Him ask Him until you receive it hallelujah the Lord's been speaking to me He's been saying talking to me about prayer He said I don't want you to be I don't want you to lose heart He said but I want you to pray always hallelujah there's something about persistent prayer that touches the heart of God Jesus said will I find faith when I come back to this earth. In other words, will I still find my people praying? Hallelujah. Will I still find them believing? Will I still find them hanging on to the promises? Hallelujah. Shakaraba. Oh, my friends, I'm telling you this. I know God is speaking to some of you right now. There are wells that are clogged up in the name of the Lord Jesus. You need to speak to those wells and remove all, whatever is clogging up. If it's a bitterness, if it's a spirit of bitterness, you've got to deal with it, my friends, because that root of bitterness springing up will, will, will defile many. And that's interesting. It's, it's, the bitterness in you can spring up like a well, but it's not a well. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spring of evil. Shandaraba that needs to be dealt with right now. If you have been unfor unforgiving towards others, you need to forgive right now in Jesus' name. I don't know who you are, wherever you are, wherever you come from right now. If you're hearing the voice uh, of, of, of this message in the name of the Lord Jesus, you need to repent. You need to repent and get right with God. Wherever you are, whoever you are, get right with God right now. Uh, Pastor, I'm a well. What else do I do? Well, if you're a well, become a desire to become a spring. Ask God. If you're a spring, ask God to, to overflow in you so that a river can flow out. Some of you are gentle flowing rivers. I tell you, the Apostle Peter was a mighty raging river. Come on. Paul was a mighty raging river. Wherever they went, people drank from the spring that overflowed in their lives. Hallelujah. And I tell you, the more that spring bubbles up, the more that spring overflows, the more people are going to come to you and drink hallelujah from the living waters that flow out from you. Shut up. Come on, my friends, don't sell yourself short. There is so much more in God. Hallelujah. Let's not be contented with what this world has to offer. There's nothing in this world. There's nothing in this world, my friends. It's all in Christ Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Yesterday I was reading the account uh, by General William Booth and his people and the trials and um, amazing visions that he has had. And I was reading the accounts of how they took Christians who in the, in the, in the days of Jesus and after, of course, after his resurrection and uh, they threw them in prisons, in the darkest prisons there where there was no light. Can you imagine those damp, dark prisons right in the deep, the, in the fortress? And there was no uh, cockroaches and, and rats all over the place. And then they took them and threw them in arenas where they were torn by wild beasts and animals. And oh, I tell you this, my friends, the, the world is not worthy of such people. The world is not worthy. And when I read this, I said, God, what am I doing, Lord? These people paid a price for you, Lord. These people went all the way with Jesus. They let the Holy Spirit come into them and direct all the, their, their lines and the, the, they acquiesce their will, uh, wills to you, God. And that's what I want, Lord. I want to be sold out for you. I want to be totally yours. I want to be on fire for you 24-7, 365 days a year. I want to be burning for God. I want to be burning for God. My friends, I tell you, there is more that God has for you. Don't stay in the peripherals of what the God is doing. Jump into the river. Jump into the core of what God is doing. Hallelujah. Shara Baba. Father, we come before you today, Lord. And we are not contented where we are. I know that Cornerstone is more than just a well. We have become a spring that out of this spring has flown rivers, streams into many nations have been blessed because of this church. But I'm not contented with just being a gentle flowing stream. I want this church to be a mighty torrent. Hallelujah. I want the ancient torrents of God to flow in Cornerstone into the nations. Hallelujah. I want them to know that you are God. Hallelujah. That you alone are God. Lord of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Father, I pray thee, Lord, that there are people watching who are springs and God, uh, who are wells that have been clogged, that you would unclog those wells and that they would become again living waters, channels of living waters, Lord. And I pray for those that are already springs and they are heavy. They have this joy bubbling up in them. But God, I pray that it will be overflowing. Hallelujah. Shakaraba. I tell you this, wherever you are, there is more in God. Wherever you are, whatever place that God has brought you, there's always more, there's always more, there's always more. And I speak that over your life. And now I pray for the blessing of God the Father, the blessing of God the Son, and the blessing of God the Holy Spirit to be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.